to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. We are in Song of Songs today. Song of Songs, we're still in our Back to Basics series and following up the wonderful messages on prayer and fasting in the last couple of weeks, all things that are, you know, basic to how we're to live for Jesus. Um, we're following on in Song of Songs of all places. And the key verse for the day is, draw me after you and let us run together. Song of Songs 1 verse 4. But I've titled this message, Keeping That First Love Alive which really echoes, you know, the letter in Revelation 2 verse 4, you know, where we're to keep our first love alive, come back to our first love, and which is actually another basic key, you know, to to keep our love for Jesus alive is a basic, isn't it? Along with all those other wonderful things we've been talking about. Recently, the the local um, physics teacher asked the school's biology teacher out on a date. Sadly, it didn't work out. There was no chemistry. (laughs) Song of Songs is, in fact, uh, full of chemistry (laughs) between a young man and his beloved. It's full of chemistry. In fact, so much so, some could even question, should Song of Songs actually be in the canon of Scripture? because it borders on being an erotic romance novel with no mention of God. When we were in, staying in the Solomons, uh, helping out my sister and brother-in-law at a hospital, we got to meet a couple who had spent many years translating the Bible into the local language at Munda. And they decided to, to leave out Song of Songs because they couldn't see the relevance of it in their local culture that still had the men and the women sitting separately in church every Sunday. And I remember thinking that was a shame. We noticed a distinct lack of kind of passion in their worship and that maybe passion and emotion were maybe what they were missing. But some would rather leave out the songs of songs out of their reading of the Bible. I remember my father, who was a very practical man, said to me one day, of course there needs to be emotion in worship. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, I'd been sort of uh, trying to rev the church up a little bit, an old traditional church, and bring in some new songs. And he was dead, saying there needed to be some emotion. I thought that was great. (laughs) So, uh, you know, songs, you know, what that made me realize is we cannot judge worship from the outward appearance. You know, taking a meal to a needy person on a Monday can be as meaningful as what we express to God on Sunday. Our whole lives are worship, aren't they? Our whole lives are, are an act of worship. But is Song of Songs simply an allegory between God and Israel? Or is it an allegory of Christ and his bride, the church? Song of Songs is, in fact, love poetry, crafted in such a way that there are many messages we could take away from it. 
It's the story of an engaged couple uh, who simply can't wait to be married and spend a lifetime together. And we follow the story of this young local madly in love with a besotted outsider who is now his fiance. And it begins with a lot of seeking and finding, trying to look for each other. And there's the joy of physical attraction, which is an interesting metaphor for writings of this time when most marriages were actually arranged and love grew slowly over time. It's also called the Song of Solomon, which is a bit ironic because are we really expected to take romantic tips from a man with 700 wives, you know? <laughs> Maybe he didn't have a wife at that stage. Despite his obvious lack of exclusivity, Solomon may have been the author of these poems. But if not, he, he is certainly mentioned and held up as the sort of pinnacle of human achievement, you know, through, through his wisdom and his work. We don't know for sure who this young man is, but it is most likely written by someone at the time when Solomon's wisdom uh, writings were penned. And I just want to mention Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. They were uh, and still are groundbreaking stuff in that they give general principles for living and they are still relevant today as they were then. You can run a modern business on these books. But Song of Psalms almost appears to downplay power and wealth and highlights the mystery of and the power of sexual love. It, it really highlights that, <laughs> really highlights it. Anyway, the title gives us a clue. When this biblical writer wrote Song of Songs, uh, they were saying this is the ultimate song. Just as we say that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, which means he is the ultimate king and the ultimate Lord, Song of Songs is the ultimate love story, giving graphic examples of love talk between these two lovers. But is it true love? Is it pure love? And that's up to the reader to wrestle with and apply to their own life, our lives. Perhaps one conclusion for us is that to be truly known and to truly know another is our ultimate song. Let's hear what God might be saying as we read chapter one. We're just going to read the whole chapter um, because this is, a, this is the only sermon on this book. Um, next week we look forward to Nathan. Shadbolt sharing uh, from the book of Jude. Anyway, let's turn, if you've got your devices or Bible, Song of Solomon's chapter 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil. Therefore the maidens love you. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will rejoice in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am black but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am swarthy, 
For the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me caretaker of the vineyards, but I have not taken care of my own vineyard. Tell me, O oh, you whom my soul loves, where do you pasture your flock to lie, to lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you yourself do not know, most beautiful among women, man speaking, go forth in the trail of the flock and pasture your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. To me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of beads. We will make for you ornaments of gold with beads of silver. While the king was in at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. How handsome you are, my beloved, and so pleasant indeed. Our couch is luxuriant. The beams of our houses are cedars. Our rafters, cypresses. Whew. <laughs> yeah, pretty racy stuff, eh? And this chapter is actually the slightly tamer of the other ones. <laughs> sort of kept it PC. Anyway, the first thing that stands out in this love poem is that the girl is forever grateful to be chosen in 1 verse 4, in verses 1 to 4, sorry. It's respect, really. It's respect combined with admiration and infatuation. She's laying it all out there and she's all in. It's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> the basis for any lasting relationship is trust and openness. She says in verse 3, no wonder the young woman love you. She has an attitude of gratitude. Deep respect has led her to a place of undying loyalty and belief in him. True love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Does that sound familiar? It's from 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? She's on his side. She has his back and would follow him to the moon and back. She would elope with him right away. Verse 4. She's more excited about him and his love for her than the excitement of the pending wedding. They don't elope. They both know that's not an option. But as they wait, he reassures her of his love in verses 9 to 11. And he foretells of how amazing she'll look on the wedding day. They're both overawed by this divine gift of love that they've discovered. Are we as excited about Jesus now as we were when we were first saved? Are we all about Jesus or just about his, his promises, perhaps, the benefits for now and maybe the hope for eternal life? Are we excited about Jesus now? The second thing that really stands out to me from, from this, uh, this, uh, this book, really, is the vulnerability of this love story. In verses 5 and 6, we get a hint of insecurity. We read, I am black but lovely. She's really referring to her time working out in the hot sun. 
she's concerned this may be a turn-off. Ladies were supposed to be in the palace, you know. But it turned out nothing could deter this guy. Nothing could deter him. He sees that her selfless loyalty, working in the family vineyards at the expense of maintaining her own vineyard, as a noble quality, he sees that as such a plus. She lays it out there in case he might be having second thoughts. Ooh, there's a bit of insecurity there. But he loves that she's real and vulnerable. There's an innocence about her. She's untainted by the glitz and the glam of the city life. Her beauty is an inner glow, honed and molded by serving others. The Spirit of God is in her, and it's more attractive to him than the worldly-minded girls of his town. She's an open book with him, and nothing is withheld. She just wants to quickly get past the prying eyes of neighbors to graze her goats with his. That's what it means to have her head covers on. This speaks of the priority of time alone with her beloved, without time-wasting distractions, and of simply doing life with her first love. That's her passion. No distractions. So that's the second thing, vulnerability. First one was trust. The third thing that stands out for me is that the man continually speaks hope. He's secure in his own skin. He knows true love has no conditions and no end. However, he knows that love cannot be bought. Over in chapter 8, towards the end of this book, he speaks of having his own vineyard, which sits outside the realm of Solomon's estate. It is his and his alone to give to another. He longs to share it with his beloved, but he doesn't force it on her. Their imminent, uh, imminent sexual union will be the culmination of their emotional attraction, respect, vulnerability, and hope. So I've kind of summed up some of the keys to keeping our first love for Jesus alive, if we're doing that analogy. Passion or desire for him, trust, vulnerability, and speaking hope over our life and others. I love Jesus now more than when I went forward for prayer as an 11-year-old kid at a Billy Graham crusade in 1968. I've dropped the ball and been distracted from his purpose many times in the years since. But it's where your love for him ends up that counts, isn't it? It's not where you've been. It's where you're going. It's where you are today. He is, the, he is awesome and worth surrendering our lives to. Amen. However, we cannot reduce Song of Songs simply to one simple allegory of Christ in his church. It is also a celebration of what God designed married life to be in the garden without sin's damaging effects. See, the chemistry between these two is pretty obvious, isn't it? Song of Songs speaks volumes to those today whose only interest is in loveless sex on the one hand 
and to those who think that sex is evil or wrong, on the other hand, both extremes aren't God's best. With the growing list of sexual perversions, we need to somehow re-establish godly attitudes to intimacy with Christ's help. Romance is not dead. <laughs> Come on, guys, we can do better. <laughs> including this one. <laughs> Romance is not dead. Christ has shown us what true love is, and it's to give up our right to please self. We are designed for exclusive intimacy where we can, where we can say, draw me after you and let us run together. Now, I know we're all in a different space. For some, that will mean a deeper intimacy with Christ than marriage offers. For others here today, it will mean honoring and pleasing our spouse sexually because we love the Lord. For others, it means patiently waiting for the right partner. For all of us, it means desiring Christ above all others and making him Lord of our relationships. So perhaps the most powerful allegory in this Song of Songs is that like this foreigner girl darkened by the sun, we outsiders, non-Jews, are brought into the king's chambers and become royalty in the process. Maybe the young man in this love story is a caricature or forerunner of Jesus, and we are the girl the bride-to-be. Again here, Christ is concealed in the Old Testament but revealed in the New. Praise God for Song of Songs. I'm glad it's included in this canon of Scripture because it highlights the mystery and the power of sexual love and marriage. It highlights our God-given desire for intimacy, which is only satisfied in lasting, trust-based, committed relationships. Whether we are married or not, our first allegiance is to Christ, who loves each of us with a passion. He chose us before the foundation of the world. The ultimate intimacy actually exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Any joy that we encounter during our lifetime on earth is but a drop in the ocean compared to eternity with him if we remain faithful to the end. As we ask our beloved, draw me after you and let us run together, the king will bring us into his chambers. Have you asked him to draw you after himself? Perhaps today is the day to make him our first desire for the very first time. Or maybe just need to return back to that first love. Maybe today's a day for recommitment. All it takes is to repent and get real. Get real with him. Tell him how you're feeling. Tell him what you need. Be honest. Be encouraged. He is with you. He is with you. He knows all of our needs before we even ask. Amen. Lord, thank you for this encouragement to keep striving for love and unity 
and for intimacy, first and foremost for you, with you. And Lord, I thank you that you have given marriage, not for everyone. We've got to be first healthy in you. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with each person here today, whatever, wherever they are at, and uh, grant their desires of the heart that you've put there. Lord, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit to come alongside and teach us how to be better at this, how to look after those close to us, how to do it better. We ask for your help, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.